Do you remember the time she said yes? When you chased away nightmares from under the bed. When you kissed away tears from salty, wet faces. When you admitted your wrongs and they taught you what grace is. Through giggles and cuddles, through emotional fights, through mornings and evenings and long sleepless nights. You were there for the triumphs. You were there for the trips. You were there for it all. You'll be glad that you did. Hey, I want to welcome you all here. Glad that you're here on the way into uh, all of the campuses. You're handed the notes. And if you want to get those out, if you take notes, get a pen. If you use the device, that's great. If you want to just sit back and listen, that's fine too. Uh, our series is called You'll Be Glad You Did. And uh, it's not just simply um, based on the idea of connection, although right now it seems like we're talking a lot about connection. But each week we'll be talking about a different facet of you'll be glad that you did. Part of the, uh, the issue in teaching this if you uh, catch the vernacular here, we're talking about in the future, you'll be glad. So it's sort of uh, present and uh, future tense when we're talking about it. A little bit that makes it difficult to teach is trying to convince people that doing things today is going to pay off huge for tomorrow. And I got into, uh, in the start of this message, that a lot of the times we're just simply wired to think more about, let it pay off right now. I want the quick return. I want the, I want the instant satisfaction or the instant uh, gratification in my life. And some of our decisions, whether we like it or not, it's just simply designed that we've got to do things today to get the payoff in the right way tomorrow. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it works both ways, both positively and negatively. The things we do today bring the return in our life tomorrow, uh, both positively and negatively. So we're talking about you'll be glad, not sad, but glad you did, and then fill in the blank. So this, uh, this weekend, we're going to be talking about you'll be glad you were there. But I started the message, uh, the whole series talking about you'll be glad you connected, and uh, this isn't in your notes. It's something that just simply, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke something to me, and I debated, do I, do I take time out of a message and share something that's not in the notes and not really uh, part of the directive? I, I, I felt strong about it, met with the staff, and just said, hey, this is what I felt like the Lord um, kind of put on my heart, and do you think I should just interrupt what I normally do and just share what God has thrown in my heart? Um, and I have a staff that's very much encouraging, like, hey, if, that's, if you feel like God's doing something, do it. So um, I, I won't take time. I'll give you the reference. You can check it out later if you want to. Uh, Luke chapter 8. So this is not a part of uh, this, this weekend's notes, but it goes along the line of you'll be glad you did. We talked about starting last week, and you'll be glad you connected. Um, I just made a statement. I said it's, it's the enemy's purpose to try to isolate people said, but the Father's work is to reconcile us, to us, to pull us in and, and to connect us, not only to him, but to each other. I use a lot of different references. I use the idea that uh, God himself in Genesis said it's not good for men to be alone. He created for us human companionship. Uh, in, in Solomon's take on an Ecclesiastes, two are better than one, three are better than two. We went through the whole thing. So this week, I'm not studying for that message. I'm just reading it to be reading it for myself. I'm feeding myself. In Luke chapter 8, uh, there's the story of Jesus when he's teaching, gets in the boat with the disciples, they cross the lake, they get to the other side of the lake, and there's a, a really uh, intense encounter with a guy who's just being tormented by the demonic. And, and some of you, if you know the Bible, you might be familiar with the story. 
Uh, the Bible says that he lives amongst the tombs and, and that they try to bind him with chains, but uh, he, he, was, he, he would bust out of the chains. It, just, it, was just, it was terrible what the enemy was doing to this guy. And, and there's a little, um, just a, a, a little uh, look that I had, I've probably read this story, I mean, a hundred times, two hundred times, but I saw something this time, and this is what it says in Luke chapter 8. It says that the enemy would drive this person into isolation. It actually uses those words right there. And if you know the story, uh, the man is absolutely set free by Jesus. And it's just astounding what happens to him. But then it records this. The guy begins to beg Jesus and the disciples, let me stay with you. I don't want to be by myself. Let me stay with you. And I thought, what a contrast that we have right here. The enemy, when he's at work in our life, has one purpose. It's to isolate us and bring us into dark places, yes or no? He wants you away from people. He wants you away from connection. He wants you in a position. Here's why. If he can get you by himself, he can have shot at you unabated, yes or no? He can run roughshod rough over your life. But Christ's his, his whole intention is to reconcile us, to bring us into fellowship, and to connect us not only with himself, but with other people. Yeah. Yes. He wants us connected with other people. And I saw that in Scripture. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've read it, but never saw that little line that said, the enemy drove him into isolation. And I just felt like it was a word from the Lord to say to you, we always face the idea when people are, especially in church, hey, get connected, attend this, do this. It's like one more. Why would I? I'm bought in. Why would I need to go do that? Here's why. It's not a question of buy-in. It's a question of shutting down the enemy's work in your life completely and opening yourself up to what God has for you. And wanting you to be connected and full of what God has for you, folks. Hear me on this. Part of spiritual warfare is just to do the opposite of what the enemy wants. Never isolate yourself. Never isolate yourself. It's just not, it's not God's purpose. So uh, just, just that's, uh, that's a freebie. How about that right there, an extra, and we'll just leave it there. Okay, uh, you'll be glad you did. The purpose of the whole series is to make better decisions, live with less regrets. I think we can all agree that that's what we'd like to see happen in our lives. Uh, I mentioned the, the problem with a regret is simply it never comes with a sign saying this is going to be a regret. You don't find out about it until later, but that's also true when it comes to things that are really awesome in our lives. They don't always come and say, hey, this is going to be really awesome. We just have to do what God tells us to do, and it'll turn out like he says it's going to turn out. So this weekend, we're going to talk about you'll be glad you were there. I'm going to use uh, Luke. I'm hanging out a lot in Luke, apparently. Uh, so we're going to use Luke chapter 19. Uh, it's a little bit longer text, 1 through 10. If you want to follow along, I'm just going to read it. Uh, Jesus entered Jericho. And was passing through. In other words, he doesn't mean to spend a lot of time there. He's not there to spend the night. He's actually not there in particular uh, to do any ministry. In fact, if you know the scripture, he's on his way to Jerusalem and the triumphal entry. What we celebrate coming into Easter time, we talk about Christ, the, the Passion Week, this is the beginning of that. He's on his way to Jerusalem, so there's no intention uh, in Jericho to do anything other than wherever Jesus goes, he finds a way to minister to people. Okay, love that. So, so Jesus uh, entered Jericho, was passing through, and then look at this. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. So the Bible just quickly comments on what he did and uh, how successful he was at it. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. I sympathize with this man uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, so here's what he did. He ran ahead climbed a sycamore fig tree so that he could see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, 
Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. These are the religious people, the religious leaders. Uh, Zacchaeus being a tax collector, this is not, it's sort of like the IRS today, but worse. I thought that was funny, but perhaps some of you work for the IRS. Please email dan at jfc.org to handle uh, that issue. Um, So he, he is not a popular person. The problem with this is that there was no regulation. So that what he could do with Roman authority, he's, he's a Jew, but he's got Roman backing, and the Jews hated Rome because they've got the Jews under their boot, literally. And, and th- th- this, is not, this is a forced rule. This is uh, an invasion by another country. And uh, so, so what Zacchaeus, as a Jew, has done is put him in himself to collect taxes on behalf of Rome. Here's why they were hated. There, there's, no, there's no counterbalance to this. He could tell you, look... You, how much do you have on you right now? Give half of it. If he sent half of that then to Rome, he could keep the rest of it. So it's unregulated. He's hated by the Jews because he represents Rome, but he's also hated because he's stealing from the people that he's living with. So, so that's, the, that's the muttering that begins. He's seen as a, as a sinner of sinners, a wicked person amongst them. That, that's where this is coming from. So, um, uh, so all the people saw this and began to mutter. And here's what they mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I, listen, pretty impressive to suddenly, this, this just, it's not normal, is it? It's just not the way that uh, life normally goes. I think it's just the awesome understanding that when we come in contact with Jesus, the miraculous can happen in a person's life. Repentance happens. This, guy, this guy's life turns around instant. And here's what's funny. He didn't have to do a D-track. <laughs> you didn't even get that right there. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I, I, never mind. All right. <laughs> So I've cheated out anybody, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save uh, the lost. The, the first sentence, Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. A man was, what do you got right there? A man was there. So I want to talk about being there. Um, it, it's, it's a funny concept. Uh, when, I, when I put the message together, when the teaching team met, to try to just discuss a concept of being there. What is there? What does there look like? What is, is there an exciting place? Is there like an encounter? Do you, actually, do most of us know when we're there that we're there? Some of you are like, I, I don't even know where you are right now. How can I go there? That doesn't make sense to me. So here, here's a thought. Here's the way that I kick it up. Have you ever thought about how being in the right place at the right time allows great things to happen for you. Being there is the right place at the right time. Zacchaeus didn't wake up that morning thinking, I'm going to have an encounter with Jesus. He didn't think, this is the day I'm going to give away four times of the amount I've ever stolen. He didn't think, this is the day I'm going to give away half of my ink. He didn't think any of those things. He just woke up and went there. What are you trying to say? For most of us, we're waiting for this huge encounter in life. We're praying, God, I just wish the big thing would happen to me. I prepare my life for the big thing. I would say to you, 
most of the times when God moves in our lives, it's not in some great big encounter. It's when we're doing the natural, normal things of life. He has already purposed to cross paths with us. And then a supernatural event can take place. So I just throw this out to you. Have you ever thought about how being at the right place at the right time can cause great things to happen? So my, uh, my illustration, the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life as far as being in the right place at the right time was a Sunday school class in 1980. Some of you are like, Sunday school? Well, can anything good come out of Sunday school? Yes. I was 16 and was with my family visiting a church when this woman who greeted us at the door just simply said, how old are you? I told her, she said, we have a class for kids your age, do you want to go? And I can remember thinking, that's really the last thing that I want to do. I'd rather stay with my family, you know, and she was insistent, come with me. So I was like, okay, I'll go down the stairs in an old church, in a basement, to a room, open the door, very few kids in there, but there was one in particular who happened to be there. So I did not wake up that morning thinking, I'm going to meet the most beautiful person I've ever seen in my life. I did not think I'm going to a situation where I will, I will find my wife in this, ultimately. I got up probably, if I remember correctly, not wanting to go there. Not excited to go there. But just doing what you do. Just going through the normal, the natural, nothing exciting. But walking into a room... And at the right place, at the right time, there's a girl, we debate about this, I say wearing a red dress, she says it was a blue dress, but I say the guy would know. <laughs> because it was bait one way or the other, and I took the bait. <laughs> and there she was. I think the greatest thing that ever happened to me in the natural, when I say that, don't be religious and go, are you leaving God out of it? That's the greatest thing that ever happened to me eternally. But the greatest thing that ever happened to me in this natural life was a chance encounter. But it wasn't chance at all. Can you believe that God could so love you and so be purposeful about your life that you don't even know? You're just going through the day-to-day -day motions of life. You wake up and nothing feels unusual that day. Just talk to me for a minute. So look, some of you, you drove over here and nothing felt unusual today. Nothing feels different, nothing feels new, and nothing seems out of the ordinary. What if in a chance encounter, God crosses paths with you right now and it radically altered your life? What if it radically altered the direct? What if your income suddenly, God, I'd give everything just to follow you right now. Can that happen? It happens every day, all the time. That's the Jesus we serve. I, I just conceptually want to ask you to consider, because for many of us, we never it's, we're always looking for the, I, I would just, I would have a feeling that, like the, I've got a feeling on the 850 million pastor. <laughs> Finding out who the truthful people are in there. Someone, the lottery? I've never even considered it. Hmm. We just live with the idea of, I would have a feeling about it, or I would know, or it would be something big. So here's a question. Maybe it's a problem. How do you know you're in the right place at the right time? 
So wouldn't you love to know if you were at the right place at the right time? Maybe that's the better way to ask it. Huh. I would just say, maybe you're thinking in the wrong way about it, and maybe the easiest way for you to think about how to encounter God in your life, how to encounter the supernatural, how to encounter God doing something remarkable in your life, listen to just look at me real quick. Let me make this really simple for you. How to encounter God in your life? Show up. Trust God to love you enough that if you just get up and just are faithful, to go to work, love your spouse, do normal. Trust that God loves you enough to know right where you are and has already planned to chance encounter you, to cross paths with you, to radically alter your destiny, your future, by just doing what's normal. So let me just give you a couple thoughts then about the scripture that stood out to me that if I could just get you to kind of embrace and take on, maybe it would help you. So the first one just simply there. Let me talk about there for a second. There looks very ordinary. It looks like just another day. Nothing when you get up about an encounter with God is going to be like, ooh, I feel goosebumps or wow, something really awesome is going to happen. Most of the time that's just emotions. Here's the way that it is. If you just are obedient, if you just do what you're supposed to be doing, God loves you enough to cross paths with you and to change everything for you. I put it in a, in a thought. Here, maybe, maybe this is a better way to say it. Do you ever feel ordinary? Anybody in the room? Do you ever feel ordinary? I do all the time. I, I just feel like everybody else, just sort of ordinary. Here's good news. God specializes in ordinary people, which should be hopeful for most of you. <laughs> if you're like, I don't feel ordinary we know. <laughs> At King David, it's a great example. If you, if you are familiar with David's life, so if you're like, like just starting a faith journey and you're like, I don't know much about David, I'll teach you something really good right off the bat. But if you do know, let me show you something maybe you've never considered before. Um, when we look at David's life, David was really, oh, David fought Goliath, David was king of Israel. David just did so many incredible things. Uh, David was actually the youngest son of multiple brothers. And the Bible tells the story about how David was chosen as king in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And it goes like this. Uh, at that time in Israel, uh, Samuel was the prophet. Samuel is the one that speaks on behalf of God. It's a tremendous amount of spiritual authority. God uses him in really incredible ways. And the Lord says to Samuel, I've chosen a new king. I've rejected Saul. Quit mourning. I want to use you to anoint him. So get your horn of oil and head off. So he's heading to Bethlehem. The Bible says that when he gets to the town gates, the city elders meet him and they're worried he's there for some kind of a negative thing. The Bible says they're actually trembling. Why are you here? Is it for peaceful reasons? He says, it is for peaceful reasons. I'm here to anoint a new king. So he meets Jesse, who is David's father, and he tells Jesse, this afternoon we're going to have a meeting, and I want you to assemble your sons. So Jesse pulls his sons together, and he goes from 
oldest on down the line, and Samuel's sitting there, and Jesse's there. And so the oldest son gets up, and he walks in front of Samuel the prophet. And the Bible says that when Samuel sees him, he looks at how big and how strong and how good-looking he is. And this is what it records. He says to himself, this must be the one that God's chosen. And the Lord whispers in his ear and says, I don't look at what men look at. You see how big they are, how strong they are, but I look inward at the heart, and this isn't the one. The Bible says then the next one goes in front of him, and he says, well, that must be the one, because he was big and strong and good-looking. God rejected him, and on down the line, so that he rejects every one of the sons that walked I mean, how weird would that be to tell a father, hey, listen, I'm here to anoint a king. It's one of your sons. Bring your sons in here, and then none of them. Well, none of these are the guys. So you imagine Samuel thinking, God, did I really hear from you? What kind of a weird trick is this? What's going on here? And so he just says to Samuel, do you have any more sons? And Samuel says, well, I have one other one. He's the youngest, but he's out watching sheep. Samuel says, well, go get him and bring him in. And the Bible says that David came in. And again, here's what, here's what the Bible says. That, that when Samuel saw him, he was good looking. But the Lord said, this is the one that I've chosen. He anointed him. All he could see was in the natural. Here, let me just throw this out to you. David was so ordinary, his father didn't even consider him. I mean, think about this for a moment. There was no neon light that lit up above him. There was no, trumpets didn't blow. when he, Angels didn't show up. Oh, nothing happened. In fact, in David's life, maybe the, maybe the most difficult thing David had to overcome in his life was a father who didn't believe in him. Think about that for a moment. Now, what a wound from a father right there. To not even consider it's even possible with you. He is so ordinary, so normal, so natural that nobody thinks anything significant with him. But that's not how God saw it. God specializes in doing supernatural things with very natural people, and that should be good news for everybody in the room. That qualifies you. If you said earlier when I asked you, do you feel ordinary? That then qualifies you to be used in a supernatural way. By God. I think God likes ordinary because people who think they're not ordinary have difficulty being used by God. They think they're something. I like that message. I like that idea. I like the fact that God uses ordinary people because most of my life, I, look, I'm sorry. I know that so much of what talks today, I feel special. I like me. I like me. I, I look in the mirror and I go, you look normal. Maybe on the short side a little bit, but pretty normal. God uses you. God, if you just feel, if you just feel you go about life and you hear all these stories and you're like, will I ever get my chance or my, yes. God specializes in ordinary people. I like that. I think that just, it's encouraging, it's it's something to let us know that it doesn't, you don't have to be born with a silver spoon or born with a pedigree or born 
of all the knowledge. It's that God uses the ordinary. Maybe along that line, and just to expand in it, God likes to show up in the ordinary. So let me, let me talk about this for a minute and give you a little bit of a biblical education. And it's also going to be a commercial and a plug, so pay attention. Jericho, which is where this takes place, is not Jerusalem. If you ever go with me to Israel, September 2nd through the 13th, 2016, you can go. If you ever go with me to Israel, you'll never read your Bible the same. Because when you read this right now, you don't know what you're reading. Jericho is a cruddy little town. It lays on the outskirts of the desert. And normally, we're passing through from the Galilee to Jerusalem, just like Jesus was. We pass through Jericho on our way to do more exciting things. We talk about what took place there several thousand years ago. Do you remember the great claim to fame? The walls of Jericho fell down. Jericho's not an exciting place. It's not. It's an ordinary, normal, deserty town in the middle of Israel. But let me just show you a few things. God has showed up in the ordinary so many times. There is a blind man not long after this story on the outskirts of Jericho who when Jesus is coming by, he begins to yell out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples tell him, hey, be quiet. Jesus is walking by. <laughs> Let me try over here. <laughs> Do you realize how silly that is? They bring Jesus to this town, and the guy yells, Jesus, help me. And this, shh, Jesus is here. <laughs> you don't, okay, never mind. I, it's ironic. Jericho is a place where God just over and over again in a very ordinary place at a very ordinary time in a very ordinary everyday event all of a sudden God does something incredible. The most spectacular days I've ever had in my life were ordinary days. In an easy chair watching some program in the afternoon a little girl walked into her dad and climbed up in his lap, and in a very ordinary event, a conversation began about who Jesus is and how much he loves us. And a little girl prayed with her father to love Jesus and to serve Jesus. God, how many of you would like the opportunity to lead your child to Christ? What would you pay for that opportunity? What would you give for that opportunity? If you've raised your children and they're not walking with Christ now, how much more critical would it be for you to be able to lead them to Christ right now? Yes or no? Am I hitting anything that you understand? Listen to me right now. One of the most amazing gifts I was ever given was for a child to crawl into my lap and we were not planning for salvation to enter our house that day. I did not walk up and go, okay, at 2.30, I've got this really cool sentence I'm going to say to her. And the heavens will part, and the Holy Spirit will come down like a dove. And this is your father, whom I love very much. Listen to him. Didn't happen like that. In a very ordinary way, a child sat in my lap, and I talked to her about Jesus, and I prayed with her to find him at an early age. And then she sits here today. God, how do those things happen? In very ordinary ways, when we just show up. Do you hear what I'm saying? Uh, with Brent. My second, 
I was sitting on a swing in the backyard. He was pushing me to see if he could get me to fall off the swing. <laughs> a very ordinary event. And he was little. He couldn't do it. And I went, oh, I'm falling off. Ah. And when it all got said and done, he sits down on the swing. And in an unplanned, unhurried conversation about Jesus, I get to lead my son then to Christ. So let me just, real quick, I just threw this in the message. Today, people talk about quality time, quality time. We just, we're so busy, we've got to schedule quality time. So, all right, I'm not here to irrefute you, and I'm not here to make you feel bad, but I'm going to tell you what I found out in life. The greatest quality times I ever had came through quantity. When I was doing normal things on ordinary days, and I just showed up, and God crossed paths, and I heard his voice, and I stepped into it. Does that make any sense right now? And we sit back, and we pray, God, the big thing, give me the big thing. Get up, get dressed, show up, and watch what God can do in your life. Does that make any sense? God, this should be the most encouraging message in the world, because everybody's qualified to do that suddenly. Pray for the big thing you never know. God loves ordinary days. He loves ordinary people because he does extraordinary things in events suddenly. It's as though when all hell breaks loose and it feels like, ah, what has happened to me? God uses even the ordinary of all hell breaking loose to suddenly show up in our lives and change it so that he can take us out of those places. Does that make sense? Huh. It's almost a word for somebody right now. In my heart, I feel so in the middle of, of just utter chaos. That just, my life's always like this. Good. Because he shows up in utter chaos to pull us out of it and to take us to the place he needs us to be. How about this? Today's an ordinary day. I didn't wake up today thinking, hey, today will be different from yesterday or it'll be strategically better or worse than tomorrow. I woke up today living in what he's doing, willing to show up thinking that on an ordinary day, Jesus could be detected suddenly here in the room for people. Suddenly and irreversibly, he could be here. Um, the woman at the well. She has an enchanted encounter with Jesus, if you remember the story. All she does is go out to draw water, and the Bible says that Jesus is waiting at the well. God, do you think when she left her house with a big bucket that she thought, this will be the greatest day of my life? I bet she thought, how many more days am I going to have to do this? Yeah. And Jesus is waiting at a well. Uh, Matthew Levi. Here's how the Bible says his encounter with Jesus he becomes an apostle, a disciple. Here's his encounter. He's sitting in a chair at a crossroads, and Jesus walks by. Do you think his day was any different than the past 20? The only difference is suddenly Jesus is detected in our vicinity. Let me talk to you. Look at me real quick. Could you be sitting here at an ordinary day, doing ordinary things, listening to an ordinary preacher, when suddenly you detect Jesus in your life. 
Could today be that day? Could it radically alter your direction? Could it radically alter what you're thinking, where you're going, how you're living, what tomorrow's going to look like just because Jesus showed up? What I love about Zacchaeus' story more than any other story like this is his, his change in his life suddenly. He doesn't go, hey, I need to pray about what my response is going to be to this encounter with you. He stands up and he just screams at the top of his lungs. I'm giving away half of everything I have. That's an emotional decision. You don't think so? Let's see who's going to do it. Think about it. That's a pretty radical decision. And if I've stolen any, you know what he should have said? Because I've stolen I'm going to give back four times the amount. That's what he's trying to say right there. If I've stolen, yes. What a radical change in his life. I don't think he woke up that morning thinking about I need to change my way, I need to change my direction, I need to change what I'm doing. I think he just simply showed up, detected Jesus, and a chance encounter in his mind but was planned from eternity with Jesus, changed everything. It changed everything. God, our prayer and what we're trying to do in connecting you, in offering to you at the end of a message, uh, in, in worship, in, in a group, in every, it's to encounter Jesus. It's not to encounter us or a church or a philosophy or religion, but it's to encounter Jesus because Jesus changes everything. Everything. I thought to myself, I even wrote it in your notes if you look at how I phrased it. A little dramatic, but a very unordinary response. Zacchaeus' response was his response. I don't think... We read that message and then our response is, okay, I'm going to give away half of everything I got or I'm going to pay back for it. That's, it's just that he had this unusual, if you encountered Christ today, what would be the unusual response in your life? So I wonder if it would set people free. So I, I wonder if people would be healed. I, I wonder if they would suddenly feel like, you know what, I want to live my life for eternal purposes. I mean, what would change? What could happen? Would it change your marriage? What could change? That's when a pastor has to know, okay, let Jesus encounter people then. So I'm just going to ask, would you like to encounter Christ today? All right. Father, God, many of us, we're here because we love you. And God, our desire and our hope and our heart would be to encounter you in every aspect of our lives. At the same time I say that, I know that some this weekend will hear this message and they're not sure, ah, do I want everything to change? What does it mean? Ultimately, I don't think any human can answer that question. It's down to the desire to encounter him. I just felt like when we prepared the message and put it together that the outcome of it needed to be 
just an opportunity to experience Jesus, just to encounter Jesus. So the question is, how do we best do that? What's the way to do that? I think a gateway for a church to encounter Jesus is when we just take a few minutes and we worship him. We just open our hearts to him and when we think about him. And so this weekend, before you go, we're just going to worship. We're just going to open our hearts up. We're just going to spend some time with him. We just want to offer the opportunity for encounter to take place. Now we're strategic in all of our campuses. Before we dismiss you, we'll have the opportunity just to, just to worship. We just felt like, man, an encounter with Christ would be the most preeminent thing that could take place. An opportunity for your life to just cross paths with him. And so, Father, we just offer our hearts to you in that. Lord, some, some situations in here, just like I said, they're normal, but they're normal because they're messy right now. There are people, Lord, that need to encounter you, and it needs to bring order to their lives. There are people that need to encounter you, and they need to be set free. There are people that need to encounter you right now and discover the meaning of life. God, there's people that just need to encounter you to be refreshed right now. Father, we just want to encounter you. So before we leave today, God, we just ask, put ourselves in the position. If you want to pass by us, we're paying attention right now. We're paying attention. God, I just thank you for this. We give you the honor for that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, church.